Hello everyone and welcome to the That's A Wrap podcast. I'm your host Joe Downey. And I'm your other host, Matthew Matthew P. Parkinson. Oh wow, you brought the, the full the full name out. Um, I did the date indeed. today is the twenty fifth of May and the time is seven eleven. And yep. you're listening to the That's a Rap podcast, the podcast where we and we and Matty P, me and Matty P, wrap up the the latest films uh, that we've seen. And uh, today is a special day because we have a guest. Yeah, it's me. Oh, I'm Heidi. This is Heidi. <laughs> w- who are you, Heidi? Oh, well, I'm Heidi. Uh, my surname is Scholl, not spelt the normal way. And I'm a film student at Bournemouth University. And yeah. But I'm not for student. much longer. Oh, no, every oh, time, Matt. Thank God. <laughs> It's getting closer, my dude. Stop reminding me of the existential dread. Sorry. (laughs) Out into the real world. Yeah. Jesus. If we have much of a real world afterwards, but... We'll be alright. Yeah. Yeah, so we are a film (laughs) podcast, and I'm going to go over some quick social admin before we go into the films that we have today. Um, We have an Instagram for people to follow, um, at T-A-W podcast, that's T-A-W podcast, and if you guys ever want to suggest films and topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be open there. Um, by the time this episode is up, our Facebook page will be available. So just type up That's A Wrap Podcast. It's the one with the blue logo. And give us a like and remember to share because it, it helps out the show a lot. We are also available on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. So make sure to give us a follow on those platforms and leave a review where available uh, as well as sharing. And last but not least, we have uh, two letterboxed accounts for us uh, for you to follow if you want to keep up to date with what we're watching. And that's Joe Film User and what's yours, Matt? Clappy P. Clappy P. And yeah, that's that's most of the social admin. Um, just one little tidbit. Um, I just wanted to see if you guys had any scores to recommend for people to listen to. Oh my. <laughs> well, this obviously Bill Street. <laughs> oh yeah, from the last episode, if, yes. if Bill Street could talk. Um. The main reason why I ask is that today I went on a walk and st- was listening to Marriage Story, and it was great. I don't yeah. have a score, but earlier today I was listening to uh, That Thing You Do, the song. Oh, perfect. From the film oh, That dear. Thing You Do. <laughs> That's all I've heard. now looking, <laughs> looking That's up That's all scores. I've heard for like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, we kind that of... That song, over and uh, over. I thought you guys had stopped listening to it now, though. <laughs> Oh, no. We still no. we still mention it from <laughs> time to time. No, uh, <laughs> not quite. Everything. Another good film score, a surprisingly good film score, is the score from Spotlight, the twenty fifteen oh, really? Best Picture winner. Yeah, it's actually a pretty good score. It's good like focus music because okay. it's very like simple and very. It's Howard Shaw composed it, and it's very oh, nice, nice sort of minimal score, but it's it's very good, very overlooked. I'd recommend it. A good um, Howard Shaw score to get into. Howard Shaw score. Um, <laughs> Lord is, of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, The Fly. The Fly is one I recommend. I didn't know he did The Fly. Yeah, he did The Fly. Well, the was, When was that? One, Back obviously. in the 80s, I imagine. Or... I'm assuming 80s, 90s. Yeah. It was during the AIDS epidemic, because people thought The Fly was based off... It was about that when it wasn't. But oh, I see. Cronenberg was like, it fits, so I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to be... Did you have any... I saw you many, searching. many... Many. <laughs> just the whole podcast so, worth we'll most, of my, all, all most of my like music is soundtracks oh, right. most of them yeah. are Disney right mm. um, one of the best ones like for atmosphere I feel is probably Hook though Okay. or How to Train Your Dragon H- who did Hook? Mm. John Williams oh, perfect. of course nice. and then How to Train Your Dragon is John Powell uh, they are both legends 
Um, for some reason, all of them start with J. There's like James Newton Howard. James Horner. J. James Horner. My God. <laughs> that, why? Just the best composers <laughs> of J. All of J, the J people. <laughs> but yeah. One um, other score I'd recommend quickly is yes. the Finding Nemo score. I've been oh, listening yes. to that while working a lot. It's yeah. very helpful. So we watched. Good. Uh, yeah. yeah. We watched Finding Nemo recently, and towards the end credits, you know, somewhere beyond the sea, the Bobby mm-hmm. Darren yes. song. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, fun fact, <laughs> uh, Robbie Williams sang this one. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. From from Take That. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't know how he managed to get that gig, but yeah, I, I grew up knowing the Robbie Williams version of Somewhere Beyond the Sea, <laughs> yeah. not Bobby Darren. Uh, yeah, that's just great. Film. Interesting. It, yeah, nice it film. is. Great soundtrack. Yeah. Thomas Newman, yeah. baby. Uh, mm-hmm. There we go, Thomas Composer Newman. Composer for days. For days. Is for he days. your favourite? Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Based Are on... you Howard Shaw about that? Uh-huh, very good. <laughs> I'll be a Thomas New Man by the end of this oh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's, anyway, so let's we get cracking. We've got three cracking. films to talk about today. <laughs> yes. We, we realised the two film uh, strategy doesn't work unless you have a lot to unpack about them instead of just being like, film good. Um, but yeah, so the first film today is Clueless, which yes. is a 1999, uh, bleh, 1995 film written and directed by Amy Heckerlin, who... Uh, directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Look Who's Talking, and I Can Never Be Your Woman. Um, yeah, is there anything you guys want to say plot-wise about this before we get into some details? Or um, Having read Emma, mm-hmm. uh, it actually really does adapt it really well. Okay. Like, considering it kind of... It brings it more into... Well, it was the modern world at that point, but, like, it does adapt it quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know on costumes, because that's what I enjoy, um, they didn't really reflect the style of the time. They were meant to be quite exaggerated versions of what people were right. wearing. Mm. But people Sorry, is this in Emma so or in, in Clueless? Clueless. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So, yeah. real quick, so Clueless is an adaptation of Emma written by Jane Austen. Yes. 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 But um, people liked them so much that they just started wearing them. Even though they were meant to be kind of ridiculously over the top, because <laughs> it's, it's a satire, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Even like for the nineties, nobody wore that until they saw Clueless. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, real quick, the Google synopsis for Clueless is: Cher is a rich high school stu- uh, student who is learning to cope with adolescence and its problems. She also helps a new student gain popularity, and in the process, discovers her own feelings. And usually the Google synopsises, synopsi or whatever, are rubbish. I don't, I don't, would you think <laughs> that, you know, wraps it up pretty well plot-wise? Or would, would you say it's more, more than it, that? It gives you an idea of the events to come, I think, which is, <laughs> which is what its aim is. And yeah, yeah. no, I, I think I would, I would describe the film in that way, more or less, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know if I would say that she's learning to cope with adolescence because she thinks she's doing pretty well. Right. Mm. I think she's learning that she doesn't actually know what she's doing. Really. Like, I don't know, because like, she has so much confidence at the start of the film and it all starts to like break away when she realises that the advice that she's giving people is actually kind of rubbish. Right. Mm. So... Yeah, I wouldn't say she's learning to cope. I would say she's learning that 
she was wrong. Mm. Okay. And changing. Yeah. Which is always good for a character. You always want characters <laughs> to change. <laughs> so, so basically, Cher is the very superficial uh, teen who's very, like, she has a rich dad. She loves, like, being in nice fancy cars and wearing all, like, she has, like, a, a very, like, weird future-esque, like, wardrobe designer thing oh, that the she iconic can wardrobe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I spoke to my sister Gosh. about this film, and apparently the wardrobe is, like, a cultural mm. icon now in cinema, Yeah, basically. I mean, a, lot, a lot of this film is. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, what did you think of the film, Matt? Um, so, it, it was interesting. So, I came into it with relatively low expectations because I thought I, it's not my kind of film. I, I right. described it to my parents as like an airplane film where it's like okay. you probably wouldn't watch it in the cinema but if it came out a year later and you were on an airplane you might give it a watch just to kill two hours on a flight. <laughs> but I it was I really yeah. I, I liked it. Um, I, I thought it was a pretty good film. I thought it was a good um smartly written satire i think because it, it's satirizing that sort of popular girl culture of the time i think right. and it does that quite well i think um yeah i think because it's mm, i should have prepared more <laughs> i'm kind it's of just okay. riffing no, with it um, <laughs> but it's yeah, yeah i i overall i like the film i um I think Alicia Silverstone's character is quite interesting because she does sort of embody that sort of popular girl stereotype very well. Right. And then for the first half of that film, it's built up very vividly. And then it sort of comes undone in the second half of the film when she realizes, like you said, that she's not as good as she thinks she is. Because the whole film is her basically finding someone who's not popular and a bit of a tomboy and trying right. to make her like her, basically. And... Yeah. At, at about the halfway point of the film or a bit later on the sort of the roles switch the girl she's trying to take right. under her wing becomes the more popular girl right. and she's sort of left to be the clueless one <laughs> roll credits <laughs> and I, I liked it I thought it was quite smart there are there are some good characters in it I think the actor who plays her dad does a really good job <laughs> he's very funny in the film <laughs> yeah and um I think the dynamic between Alicia Sil Silverstone's character and all her friends is very good. It was quite um, convincing. I thought I don't know how realistic right. it is, but it sort of I mean, it's, it's very drew me like, into that world. You know, yeah, it's 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 good. Fashion. It's yeah. very exaggerated, but it's sort of it's a campy film, but it's campy with purpose. I think because you know, right. like I said, it is satire, so it is sort of over the top on purpose. Yeah. I think yeah. you know because like all the ridiculous clothing and the right. wardrobe and everything and the dialogue that they use is very sort of upfront <laughs> no in that. teenager talks like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i don't even know if in the 90s they really talk like that <laughs> <No>. but <laughs> um, but it's good and yeah. it's just yeah the characters are likable i think despite the sort of tone the film has that would expect you to ha to not like these characters they do come off as quite likable i think right. which was a surprise for me and yeah so yeah, I I, I liked it to... better than I thought. Yeah, fair enough. Sorry, I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> back to something earlier. Did uh, am I right in saying you seem to disagree with the airplane film notion? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean that's I was... just for me. I'm not saying for everyone. I'm just saying yeah, for me. Well, I was the target audience for that film. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. And up. I and I wasn't. So yeah. No. So it makes sense that you would be like, oh, it's an airplane film, but mm. like I don't quite see it that way. Probably because. Fair enough. 
it made me feel very clever. Like when I watched <laughs> it, when I was like maybe 15, 16, because I'd read the book by that point, I think. I used to feel very, very clever watching it because I knew what was going on and I knew what it meant because I'd read the book and other people <laughs> hadn't. <laughs> so I was a bit, I was a bit of an awful teenager, but I, it, I don't know. I liked how it was quite smart for yeah. a teen film. Right. Yeah. Like for something aimed at teenagers, it was quite smart. Yeah, I agree. It's, yeah. It's smart for considering what it is, I think. Uh, I, I think it you don't necessarily have to know it's an adaptation of a Jane Austen film to enjoy no. it. It's very separate oh, yeah, and has its not. own yeah. style on top of it. Going off of the dialogue not sounding naturalistic and whatnot, they're stylized elements, but I also feel like uh, with the character of Cher, like, they do the whole thing of she's like aesthetically like she's meant to come off as this naive ditzy person, but she actually does use a lot of big words. And you know she was like, she, there's she's there's one moment where she outsmarts a college uh, t- a teenager on their Shakespeare knowledge and whatnot. And I mm. think it does that as like a expectation uh, shift. What did you guys think of that? Because yeah. like they still I mean, they don't betray her other. Stuff. I think no. like you you never get the impression that she's dumb in the film. Right. No, she, no, not she's, at all. she's not. She's not inarticulate. She's very cunning. You know, she has the world in her hands, basically. So she's not dumb, but I think the persona that she has, this sort of, you know, basic blonde persona that was, you know, like the basic teenager thing can sort of allude to that. But I don't think at the beginning of the film it is established that she is intelligent, I think, yeah, to some degree. In her, within her own her. bubble, she's intelligent, I think. She's definitely very clever, and like I think her like fatal flaw is that she believes she's clever than she's more clever than she is, mm. which she's already quite clever, but she thinks that she's she's more good with people, like she's obviously very smart, but she doesn't quite understand other people mm. as well as she thinks she does, which I think might yeah. be. Her whole, like, downfall. (laughs) Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, What did you... Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, uh, (laughs) There was one thing, because you mentioned earlier that she was a very likeable character, even though she's kind of not... She's not the nicest person. She's not nice, (laughs) but I think because she has charisma and she's so confident within her own space, you can't help but kind of root for her in a way, I think. Oh, that's how I felt anyway. Because one it. thing Austin wanted to do when she wrote the book was she wanted mm. to she really wanted to write a character who was horrible, mm. and she was she was like, "Oh, I'm fed up of writing characters that are likable people. I want to make I want to make someone who's really unlikable and try and make them likable, mm. like in a sense." So I don't know. I think they got that across very well in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're there's another not not to like swerve listeners away to another podcast but this is this is a worthy shout out there's a podcast called um the script notes podcast with craig mazin and john august uh john august has written films such as like big fish and craig mazin's done stuff like the, the chernobyl series and they have one episode where they go through the whole script of clueless and they were like bringing up um Cher's arc i was just wondering what you guys thought of her arc as a whole um, especially to do with, I mean, with, not necessarily without spoiling, but more uh, her arc in relation to the Paul Rudd character. 
So that was the one part of the film that kind of lost me a bit. I think the whole thing with Paul Rudd. So how are we on spoilers, first of all? I mean, <laughs> with this sorry, film, I know it's like sorry, it came out twenty five years ago, but um, I mean, spoiler wise, in terms, I think it's... we can talk about stuff that's like common knowledge. Like people yeah. know about the Paul Rudd relationship, and it's been a like cultural conversation. Yeah. Right. And most yeah. people, when they talk about Clueless, talk about the Paul Rudd relationship. What What do you think of it, Heidi? I'm well. I think that's one case where they were trying to be too faithful to the book, because in the book, the like character of Knightley, who is um, Paul Rudd's kind of counterpart, um, was quite a lot older than Emma, and he was like. I think it was a family friend or something. It's been right. a while. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, he was quite a lot older. And I think that they tried to be too faithful to that idea of his character. And that I think they got him being like a stepbrother very correct. But I, I think for the sake of, <laughs> right. you know, story, they could have aged him down. Um. I don't know, it is a bit dodgy. Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> like, looking back, it's yeah. a bit dodgy. It's iffy, and they, they try and How old is he in the film? Their, uh, he's, he's, like, he's in college, and she's he's in high school. He's right. living by himself. Because yeah. she's, like, like, 16 in the film, isn't she? Right. And, and he's, like, like 20 something or 19. Yeah. He, quite a bit older, yeah. I think she's, like, 15 at one point. She's getting her yeah. driver's license, yeah. I know that. But, right. I, again, America's age, I, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. They... they Go, they do a weird roundabout way of trying to explain why it's not dodgy in the mm. film where it's like he, she's like he she he's her stepbrother but you know that that marriage has been divorced way 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 long ago and he just yeah. likes to stay with the family for some reason yeah that was kind of at the back <laughs> of my mind for the film <laughs> i it, i kind of let it go for they, a bit cuz yeah I think the it was fine <laughs> like plot line was the right thing to do right. but they re- I don't think they needed to make him as old as they did okay like th- they could have made him like 17 18 he yeah. could have still been driving that's true like but then you, you don't you have know. Paul like because a lot of the thing was that when Cher was in trouble she would need to call on him to like yeah. drive drive yeah. her around he, and get he, her out of trouble and that's what like plants the the romance in the back of her mind yeah he could I think... still be older but like I think making him he felt 20-something. Right, right. Which I think is the problem. Yeah. I don't know if they ever actually say how old he is, but he felt 20-something. He yeah. he's, he's working um, for... He wears down. plaid shirts. Yeah. He's like 20. <laughs> yeah. But he's reading Nietzsche. But I think... They, yeah. They could have made him younger, but still... Because this whole point is he's meant to know more about what Cher thinks she knows mm. about. So they could have made him a little bit older without making him feel gross. <laughs> but I think, right. so, I think the the main problem I had with it, so veering off from the age mm-hmm. difference, sure. which is its yeah. own problem, I think narratively, because so, for about half of the film, or like the first two thirds of the film, it does some quite interesting things with its plot. It, do, it has some clever little twists and turns with like the sort of dynamic power shift between Alicia Silverstone and the Thai uh, character. Br- Br- yeah, Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy, mm-hmm. yeah, that's quite a good moment and then they introduce another love interest for Silverstone who turns out to be gay and then they just become friends I thought that was a a nice moment but then I think when you start realizing that she's 
about halfway through the film, you realise she's going to just end up with Paul Rudd. And I yeah. thought, oh, okay, it's it's kind of... The film was doing some really interesting, witty things, and now it's kind of funneling into this somewhat predictive ending, I think, predictable ending. Because you know that, okay, yeah, she's going to change and become a better person, and she's going to end up with Paul Rudd. Those are the two certainties you have, basically, or yeah. that I had anyway by the halfway point. And for me, I just thought, okay, you're going into a bit of, like, cliched rom-com a little bit. I, I don't know, it just lost me a bit, that was it cliche, element of it. Know. That's the thing. Huh? Because, like, it's cliche now. I think it was. It well, maybe back then it wasn't, but this whole thing of sort of, you know, the person you loved was right under your nose the whole time. It's like when <laughs> yeah, Harry yeah. met Sally was satirising that six years before <laughs> this film came out, and it's like, it must have been somewhat cliche before then, yeah. I think. But it, it did... It wasn't terrible. Like, it was really charming. The chemistry between them was well built up throughout the film. I just... When it got to that point in the film where I was like, oh, okay, now I know what's going to happen. That, that it kind of undermined the sort of wittiness that the rest of the script had for me, I think. Right. But that, that's just my... He's a bit old, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's a bit old, He ages well, <laughs> though, in, in, in real life and that Paul film, Rudd is... Like, yeah. He's still beautiful, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, <laughs> he, how old is he, like? He's, four, like, he's 50 40. or something? Yeah. Or 40? Something yeah. like that. 40s, 50s, and he yeah. looks the same now as he does then. And yeah. It's I think he's, he's always kind of looked 25. Right. He's kind but, of stuck yeah. at 25. But, Joe, what did you think of the the relationship between those two and how it I mean uh, ended it's iffy but technically not iffy because they go out the way to describe it but you know i mean apart from the age thing i mean like the it's such a weird thing because like if they have to go through all this like difficulty to explain why it's okay it's like why have this (laughs) this plot subplot yeah at all Mm-hmm. Um, outside of it being an adaptation, because a lot of people are w- watching this not knowing it's a Jane Austen adaptation, they're just yeah. seeing it for what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, and like the way, because I've seen this twice, but the first time I saw it, I was quite young and didn't remember a lot about it. The thing I did remember is their relationship. So that's the it. It's a very prominent. Mm thing within and the they film. do have chemistry i think the two they, yeah they have great the, chemistry they do but... have yeah. really good chemistry and it's it's not you know it's such a hit or miss just... thing with rom-coms the yeah. actors either do or don't and in this case they did and it was right. it was quite nice to watch yeah. yeah yeah i i don't know it's i'm i'm unsure of, of clueless like in mm. terms of staying power for me and then just the whole demographic d- debate of like oh it's it's not for sound douchey it's not for guys it's like <laughs> i i i enjoyed it um yeah but i i yeah i'm not i'm not too sure why it hasn't stayed with me that much to be honest i think yeah that's fair like, i don't think it's aged badly yet but i feel like maybe in the next 10 years it might we might be like oh hmm, it's aged badly now but like i think at the moment it's not that bad you can kind of, you can get past the right. fact that Paul Rudd's character yeah. is like thirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's an old you boy. Can, you can maybe get past his, because um, the one character that she does sort of get an interest in turns out to be gay. Right. Yeah. Um, forgotten like, his name. I have forgotten his name too. We've all forgotten his name. Like, at the moment, I don't think that's like an issue. But I feel like maybe in ten years, that will be kind of. Oh, you know, 
So maybe shouldn't do but that. I, right. But I think that the yeah, fact that yeah. he sorry, but uh, just saying that okay. the fact that he turns out to be gay in the film that's not it's played in a way that him being gay isn't the butt of the joke. I think it's played in a way that uh, Silverstone's reaction to him being gay is the butt of the joke. In that right. sort of it's it plays into she's this sort of clueless about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it plays into the the dynamic power shift yeah. again between her and Ty and everyone else around her that she thinks she has the world in her hand and she has this beautiful boy who loves her, but right. then I, oh no, it's just another thing that agree. she was wrong about. I do. Agree so I don't think it's that offensive in that sense, and it's you know he doesn't play it like a cartoon character. He's quite yeah. a, a likable character right. in the film. You know, I I, th- I don't know. I think there's a move at the moment though where. Um, people are noticing there's quite a lot of like like queer baiting's a thing and like right. gay mm. characters don't necessarily get a happy ending that sort right. of thing and I, I can't I remember know, what his might... conclusion was in the film what happened he, he doesn't really he, have he, one he, he, he just, just kind of stops yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. like once his job is done he fades out which like yeah that's yeah. what happens in the book as well but like right I I, I, I remember so with the script notes episode they they felt it was quite progressive because they mm. it yeah. does it doesn't look they doesn't look upon him negatively or anything like that and it yeah it's not really a huge they don't make it as like a, a butt of the joke situation yeah. yeah which I'd agree with to an extent apart from and I'm blanking on the, the guy's name the guy that's in Scrubs and is Stacy Dash's boyfriend in the film oh yeah they're in the car yeah. on the freeway and he's like. He's a fruit. He's a toy boy. Da, da, da. And it like they go out their way to like drop mm. all these weird uh, terms. And I, I think the way they go about trying to like persuade um, share that he is gay is a bit, yeah. bit off. But at the yeah. same time, yeah, I'm I sure for I the time period, it was very think, progressive. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think, think it's the most elegant way it no. could have dealt with it, but it was pretty good. I think. I right? think it, then... it's, I think then and now it's fine, mm-hmm. but I I don't know if it will hold up for another ten years. Right, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. No. I'd be really interested. I haven't seen it, but I'd be really interested to watch the new Anya Taylor Joy Emma film. Yeah. Oh yes, Where, yeah. Because apparently I'm not too sure, and I don't know if this is even true, but apparently Clueless has inspired the Emma film quite heavily. Like in a full, weird full like circle. yeah, I I I don't know if it was a like a a genuine meme or a screen cap, but there's a moment where they have Mia Goff's character say "You're a virgin who can't drive" to Anya Taylor Joy oh. within the Emma film. I don't know if I like that. Which I again I don't know if How it's real or not, but yeah. if it is real, it's like a nice little. Like... And then someone in the cinema will see that film and be inspired to write a book. Don't <laughs> <laughs> actually. Cool clueless. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Um. But by the way, we've we're. I get. It's always advised to never uh like talk about how you're recording podcasts, but I I need to otherwise it will bug me. Um. I've got my i iPhone on one end, and then we've got a Tascam on the other, just for safety. And I've got to point out, listeners, that I'm sorry, but my laptop is just breathing for its life, and <laughs> I'm sorry if you can hear it, but there's nothing we can do about it. Um. I put out an Instagram story announcing that we were talking about this just to see what people's thoughts were. And um, we didn't really get like in detailed thoughts, uh, but we've got uh, Jack Hockaday saying that he's clueless about it. But um, Oh yeah, I saw that. And we've got Kieran <laughs> saying that he hasn't, he, ha- he hasn't have, had a clue about it. So we got that. And then we had Neve who said yay. So big up to those people. Um, so just like an exclamation of joy and two yeah. shit puns basically is our, is our response. Great. 
Um, I mean, I think we're that's growing. Such responses. Yeah. <laughs> Clueless needs. We've gone from nothing to three nothings. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? So, what would you say is your overall wrap up of this film, guys? And um, would you recommend it? I uh, would we'll go I, with Matt and Heidi. Uh, me first. Sorry. Yeah. Go. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, overall, yeah, I would recommend it. I think to some people, I wouldn't recommend it to all people's like, I was going to watch this with my family but I knew, know my dad isn't a big romantic comedy person so my dad loved it uh, well maybe my dad would as well <laughs> but no overall I like this film it's for the most part it's a good well written satire of that sort of culture and it's of its time but it's of its time in a good way I think the second half is a little bit more formulaic than the first but overall it has some interesting moments likeable characters and it's good I'd recommend it yeah, I think I'd recommend it, definitely. Um, I think I would recommend it probably to teenage and young and adult girls, mm. mainly. Not to be a bit sexist, but <laughs> I think they would enjoy it more. And maybe older people as well, like my dad, because, I don't know, mm-hmm. he's he's gone through this weird period where we've started showing him films like, like the old Barbie films, and he sits there and he goes... These are actually really good, aren't they? I'm like, oh, Dad, <laughs> you're learning. So I don't know. I think like people who have maybe settled into themselves a little bit, maybe aren't so prejudiced against it being a girls' film, might like it. Yeah. Can see past its colour and pink and whatnot. <laughs> you know. And what what are your thoughts, Joe? Your final. I'd say um, watch it for the performances and the cast because the cast is great. Alicia Silverstone, Paul Rudd. Um, I want to give a special shout out to Brecken Meyer, who who I can only see as John from Garfield. (laughs) What about Wallace Shawn? Oh, I forgot about him. He's so good. (laughs) He is good. He's so charming. He's got the best voice. He's so Um, lovable in the film. Yeah. (laughs) I, I'd re- I recommend it if you like, you know, vibrant colours and nice outfits yeah. and just, you know, a, like a hyper-stylized version of, what, the 90s or yeah. something mm. like that. Also, um, shout out to Alicia Silverstone's hair. Yes. It's fucking beautiful. <laughs> I remember you it's saying. It's the most beautiful thing. <laughs> I, like, had it on the other day and then, like, Heidi sat down and was like, Alicia Silverstone's hair is great in this. I don't know. I think the two or three it's hairs like that Wallace Shawn has really, yeah. really stand out. Yeah. Matty P is going to start his own Wallace Shawn podcast where he goes <laughs> into every performance. I'm already Incredibles, six episodes in. Marriage Story. <laughs> and you're not invited. Princess Pride. Oh, yeah, he's in Marriage Story. I forgot about that. Yeah. I need to um, rewatch that film. Anyway. Yeah, it's available on Netflix. Definitely give it a watch. Mm-hmm. And then, it's on Prime, know, I think, isn't it? It's on Prime as well. Um, oh, it's on Prime as well. Yeah, and just, you know, just uh, let us know what you thought. It's probably about five quid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) However you want to watch it, do. Um, Another thing, our mics are quite sensitive, so if you hear our flatmates being buffoons downstairs, that'll be why. Um, I can hear them. I can hear them cling-clanging. And we'll go on to our next (laughs) film of the day. That was my amazing segue, so... Um, yeah, there's the not a lot film... of coherence in this uh, oh, in this, oh, in this nice. podcast is oh. there <laughs> what a nice pun I was very clueless about I'm that I'm going to struggle with the next one <laughs> oh dude okay, so yeah. yeah, Coherence is a, is a 2013 film written and directed by I don't know how to pronounce his last James name James Ward Burkett I think James Ward Burkett who uh, did this wrote was one of the writers of the story uh, of the story of um, Rango 
So yeah, he <laughs> he's basically God. Yeah, uh, he was also an art director on a lot of the Pirates of the Car- Caribbean films, and in yes. general works with beautiful Gorbett. films. Yeah, and th- this is his debut film, I believe, yes, as a director. Yes, directorial debut. Yeah. Um, we'll go. We'll go to the Google synopsis again. So it says, and this is a tricky one to talk about because it's hard to talk about without. Spoiling, yeah, I, so we'll, I'm going to struggle, but we'll I've talk about a lot stuff to say. That's, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about stuff that's mentioned within the trailer and the bio and yeah. anything that has been said interview-wise, which I've pulled up here. So the awesome. Google synopsis says, eight friends at a dinner party experience a troubling chain of events due to the malevolent influence of a passing comet. It's ha- very vague. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, viewers, there's a dinner party and it gets affected by a comet. And weird hijinks uh, ensue. And I think, as a caveat, this film is very hard to talk about with, without spoiling it, so immediately go and watch it. The, the, the plot... <laughs> The plot is the twist. Kind of, yeah. Well, not, no, I think like, if it happens in the first half hour, we can talk right. about it. You if know, it's in it's... the trailer and the bio, then it's okay. But there's some other stuff within this film that we really have to tread lightly around. So yeah. I think, so it's, yeah. Because it's really confusing as to what's going on right. for a very long time. And it is. The minute but... the twist happens, it all makes sense. It all comes together so well. Yeah. I, I really like this film. Right, so quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, another another is caveat the right word. I'm sure. I don't, I don't really it know what it means. Be. It can sure. be the right word. Welcome to that's a wrap where we make up new meanings for words. Um, so this is a very 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 low budget film and yes, fifty thousand I believe. Yeah, it was. And it when I look at that number, it's as, not that low. <laughs> for, for, <laughs> for Industry student, wise, yeah. yes. I was about to say when when I look it, at that number, I think Jesus Christ! I really but wish it I had that money. A hundred thousand, which Oof, is very good. Nice. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, this is a very bare bones, low budget film in terms of industry standards. It was fifty k. Mm. It, it was one location, which was the director's house. There were <laughs> and they're all just two, his mates, weren't they? The yeah. actors. Yeah. yeah, there were two DPs. He was one of the DP, and there's probably like two sound guys, and that was it. And yeah. it's all in close up for the most part, and barely yeah. any wides. Um, so, uh, a fun, f- I'm just going to go through all the fun facts of this film. <laughs> this film is, uh, supposedly 97% improvised mm, with the yeah. other percentage being, you know, general story and, and like stuff laid out for the actors. And what did you guys think of the actors improvisation? I, I really liked it. I, um, I think cause the film is basically like a sci-fi disaster film. Basically you have yeah. a bunch of people in a location, bad things happen and they can't get out or do anything. And I think often with those films, they become too sort of heavily scripted when it comes to characters and you have the same sort of character tropes in those disaster films. You have like the asshole who's an asshole because, you know, we need an act to basically <laughs> you have like, you know, the hysterical people it's like you have these cliched characters i think and it just always stunts the plot but in this i think because it's improvised and the characters are slightly more vague and less written you get less of that i think right and there are a few of those tropes that show up like the sort of hysteria and the characters being assholes to each other but it feels less contrived i think it feels natural it feels like it works for the film i think it's not like you don't roll your eyes when you watch it i think yeah. yeah. No, it I uh, like it did feel very natural. Like the way that they were speaking just felt so natural. But it, it also it didn't feel like it was improvised on the spot. Mm. Like, I don't know. It just 
it felt like someone was just really good at script writing. <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> someone was the just same really thing. good at yeah. dialogue. Yeah, it's very um, natural. Yeah, it's it, very well know, written. It didn't very feel well like performed. Yeah, it didn't yeah. feel like the people in the room didn't know what was going to be said. Yeah, you know, mm. like yeah. So apparently, so uh, this is according to IMDb. Instead of scripts, the actors would receive only a small paragraph that only they would see as their goals for the day. This allowed for the story to unfold naturally and create genuine reactions in the other actors. And what what, what do you guys think of that? Do you think it it worked? I believe it. Yes, I think it like, absolutely did work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment with a there's a moment with a knock, and I I think and apparently none of the actors knew about it, and it it I think it works very well for suspense. I, one mm. of the reasons I wanted to see this was because it was being advertised online as this like anxiety inducing sci fi thriller. And mm. I was very interested to see how you do that on such a small budget. Do you it's, guys think it did that well? It's quite. I do. Uh, I think it's quite inspiring, especially for young student filmmakers. Because it's like I, I, I want to try and make a sci-fi film that I've written, and I've been mm. trying to, you know, obviously it's going to be quite low budget, and that fil- this film kind of proves that you can right. do it. You did, know, did, did, did it make like, did you did it make you feel like you could achieve that? Because like, yeah. This is quite a big concept for a very small budget in one location, like and it does it, it very is. well. It didn't feel like fifty thousand. That's true. I it think that would just less. be paying. Felt like ten dollars. <laughs> yeah. It definitely but didn't like, go into the tech. Like, yeah, it did not go into the location. It no. Really didn't go into the props. C- catering props, day rate. <laughs> props could have cost like maybe two hundred pounds. Like costume, probably two hundred pounds. I've got some 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 go on. costume. Not really costume, but so. The film's budget was fifty k, but because yeah. they had to do reshoots later on, and uh, every everyone looked a little like different. But Lorraine Scafaria, who is in this and is also a writer and director of Hustlers and some mm. other films, she her hair was completely different, so they had to spend eight k on a wig. Fair enough. <laughs> That's like a fifth of the budget. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like. Again, this budget is like day rate, it's catering, bones, yeah. and there's a wig. <laughs> like, yeah. But it, it it does so much with it, I think, because yeah. even though nothing, mm. there's no real like advanced special effects in it, and yet it does yeah. feel supernatural with the right. elements of the plot. And because a lot of the tension does come from ha- the characters' reactions to these supernatural elements, because a lot of yeah. it is them dealing they have to think about how they would react in certain different situations. I'm trying not to reveal a <laughs> yeah. thing about this plot. You're doing a good job, don't worry. But You're doing good. The main conflict the characters have is basically an internal conflict about they have to think about how they would react in various different situations right. and mm. what that means for them <laughs> later on during the film's plot. That's the most I can say without spoiling too much. Listeners, and it's such an interesting this, dynamic. Please. It's such an interesting <laughs> conflict and it it's so it builds so well like there are certain plot points that build tension so well and reveal new bits of information really right. well yeah. yeah i have an interesting story about this film i actually <laughs> yeah. i i forgot that i'd already seen it <laughs> uh i saw it back when it came out i think must have been about so when did you say it was 2013 2013 to 2015 it had different release right so i saw it 5 to 7 years ago <laughs> and I just, I forgot that I saw it. I I remember seeing about half an hour of it. And then as I watched more and more of the film, I realised, oh, I've seen that. Oh, I've seen that bit as well. <laughs> and it, 
I mean, this isn't really like of merit. This is just an interesting <laughs> thing I had that, while watching the works film. Is, that that's like a detriment to the film's memorability, or was it just because it was a while ago? No, because I mean, this was pre-film student Matt, so right. I wasn't really. I, I kind of like... I lo- I loved the fact that people like it managed to get to platforms like because we're like Amazon yeah. Prime. You know, it's good for indie films. A lot of indie films go on there, but they don't necessarily get seen. Yeah. You were saying you saw this on Netflix a couple of years ago. I back, can't I remember what platform it was. I remember my mum showed right. it to me. I can't remember where she found it. But but it's yeah. still reaching a wider audience. And I, yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. For something definitely. of that low budget. And yeah. I, th- I just think that's a really good thing. Like, but, I mean, yeah. But when I watched it the first time, I wasn't looking at it critically because I wasn't right. a film student. I was just like, oh, film, cool. I think, uh, I think <laughs> generally, like, if anyone wants to have criticisms of certain things, I think they can be forgiven due to the fact that it's, like, bare-bones budget. Mm. Um, like, it's it in te- in, definitely in terms of visuals, but, like, it still works with the very lo-fi aesthetic it that it has. And I think mm. the lo-fi aesthetic fits the sort of naturalistic dialogue yeah. that the characters have. It's very sort of consistent in that style, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What, did, what did you think of the editing, Heidi? Because I know that oh. was a... Um, thing. <laughs> well, the majority of the film, I think, like, the reason it was so good is because it was really well edited. Right. Mm. But at the very beginning, where they were kind of setting it up, um, I felt that the editing was perhaps a little bit lazy. One of the other housemates that we've got <laughs> mentioned that it might have been a stylistic choice. Right. But it, the, it, it didn't yeah. feel like it when you were watching it. And it's like, it's all well and good saying, oh, you know, when you get to the end that it makes sense this is in the terms of, of like frames blacking out so yeah yeah, yeah. there are lots of cuts to blacks yeah I th- yeah it, i it thought it like, worked um, it's a bit yeah sorry go it was on. like it was like it was a time jump yeah sort of thing so they'd show a scene then they'd sort of time jump and then like five minutes later they'd show another scene right. in the same location yeah, yeah. I, I think within and... the context of the film though that that kind of works um sorry not to cut you off um yeah i think maybe you could argue that the reason why it's cutting to black all this time is that it's meant to reflect like the blackout that they have from the comment maybe from, from the comment that's that's what the house made right yeah, yeah i took i took it as it's just kind of establishing this sort of cutthroat pacing of the film yeah. the sort of like the tension that's to come they never do it again it's only no they in don't the first yeah it's only in the setup <laughs> is what really confused me because it was it almost felt like they didn't know how to make it flow from, like, this five-minute scene to this five-minute scene. And so they just put a, a cut there. Yeah. Like, a weird cut. Yeah. I don't know. It, it I, was a bit dodgy. <laughs> I think the first time, when we when it was first starting up, it seemed like it was literally like they put the film on a timeline and yeah. just didn't put the clips together. Yeah. <laughs> but it felt like a mistake. It's like a, a first-year film. <laughs> right. It, it did feel like a mistake. But I think at the same, yeah, I think at the same time it does help build tension because it's very much like, right, next scene, like, yeah, it it makes you feel discomfort, I think, which is then paid off later on in the film. Or it could just be the fact that it didn't get enough angles. Like, (laughs) it could be, yeah. When we were talking about Honey Boy, that was shot in 19 days. This film was shot in five Five days, yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous, it's insane. it's so. Because how long is it? It's like ninety minutes. Yeah. It's like ninety minutes. I've shot like a ten-minute film in three days. (laughs) Yeah. The slight. God damn. And considering that, like the, 
editing at the very start is the only thing that I feel like is really right. wrong with it. Yeah. It you know, it's a testament to how well they actually managed to pull off yeah such a small budget film and for mm. such a high concept because yeah. like i think a lot of low budget filmmakers think i have to be not bare bones but i have to be like right i'm gonna not be super ambitious i'm gonna do a really real life story whether as uh films like this or films like primer and the endless show that you can do big sci-fi ideas mm-hmm. but on a low budget you can still be sensible with your budget and there yeah. are other mm-hmm. creative diy ways around it I think um, it's important to just remember to have not necessarily the sci-fi concept at the core, but how the characters react to it. Yeah, and to make the how, story and characters. And this basically. is what the film did really, yeah. really well. It had the characters reacting to this event, which I won't go into detail about, but yeah. it's... Yeah, I, I really, really like this film. It's a strong I, one. I think one thing that makes a low-budget film good is if you were to give them like a normal budget, a high budget, and they wouldn't have mm. been able to do it better. Right. Like I do yeah. not think if they'd been given like, you know, a couple of million, I do not think they could have done any better. Yeah, that's a good way did. of putting it, actually. Yeah. 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 That's. Like maybe yeah. you know, slightly better camera quality. Or well, yeah, we're <laughs> seeing more effects or something. More footage yeah. to edit with, yeah. <laughs> so there's no blackouts. But it, it's the but, whole. You know. You know they, yeah. Sorry. Bare bones. They could not have done it better if yeah. they've had a bigger budget yeah, yeah. if they change the nothing whole... about the script it, yeah. yeah yeah i think it's the whole like creatively dealing with problems like you know you they wanted to show the shark in jaws but they couldn't so they had to do this whole pov thing and yeah. it's you can't imagine the film if they showed the shark a bunch In innovation mm. comes from necessity you know? Exactly, or whatever the saying is. I was about to say, who who said that? <laughs> I mean, it's I I don't think that's the exact saying, but it's like oh, right. a approximate Matty paraphrasing. <laughs> Matty P said it, yes. Um, uh, yeah, no. but um, it's true. You, it, yeah. yeah. Do you think, like this sounds arsy? Do you think <laughs> non-film students would enjoy this, considering yes. it's low budget? Because right. my my parents enjoyed it. Nice. Uh, a lot and my mum showed it to me so she oh, okay. clearly liked it and nice. they're not film students and I think my sister my sister liked it she was a bit scared so she left part way through but I think that's a testament to the film because right. it's mm. meant to be sort of you know tense and yeah. quite yeah. jarring and they I think the fact that like, it did that as yeah they did a kind of like Blair Witch yeah. thing yeah they did a bit definitely you know um, but no, sorry, I th- I think if listeners have heard the someone's car starting off in the background, we're getting all, <laughs> like, all types of background noise. But yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think oh, non-film students would enjoy this. Yeah, for sure. I'm just gonna close the door. Two seconds, guys. You might have to stall. <laughs> um, you, you can we'll, say anything. We'll be right back. We're having uh, technical difficulties. TikTok, 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 TikTok. 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 I'm Joe, we're not talking about your TikTok. TikTok. That's <laughs> no, I'm not, Joe. I'm not guessing TikTok. Yeah. I'm not guessing. Sorry, guys. I'm doing a podcast is not great for overthinking because I can't help but be super sound sensitive or mm. sensitive of what I say. Yeah. But yeah. We're I, hearing all these noises and you probably can't hear any of them. No. But <laughs> it doesn't help that this house has really thin walls. Um, no. I, I think, yeah, just going off of... Um, like indie sci-fi's like I I mentioned it before but I think this film is in the, the similar ballpark of films like The Endless mm. and Primer. Primer, yeah. I um, think most people over the age of like 17 mm. would enjoy this film. Right. Yeah. 
yeah. you know I think there's a minority of people that would probably wouldn't enjoy it because maybe expectations are different or maybe they don't like sci-fis but the, ma- mm. the vast majority of people who watch this film I imagine would like it it's yeah you can I tell agree. my housemates off. Sorry, guys. Um, I saw a YouTube comment that said, "You know, a film's confusing when the explained video is confusing." What? <laughs> um, I don't know what you guys think of that. Um, um are, are you asking if we thought the film was confusing? As in like, I wouldn't say the film's confusing, but I think trying to describe it is very confusing. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it makes yeah. so much sense when you watch it, but trying to tell someone what it's about. Yeah, is difficult. I think that's, I guess that's what why we're not attempting is, it. I think yes. my, what my question is because I got caught up in telling my housemates off was <laughs> if you have to watch an explained video for a film and even you, you you don't even get that is it is that a detriment to the film or or it just in general the idea of having to get the real meaning of a film outside of a like a well, YouTube I, analysis. I think. When you have explained videos for films, it it doesn't always mean that they're complicated. It often just means that the films are ambiguous in some way. Like, there's a lot of, you know, explained videos for, like, Kubrick films, like 2001 and The Shining. Those those aren't necessarily complicated, but they're vague. Just Mm. vague enough that you can interpret them in multiple different ways. Yeah. So, um, I I think that... um, if you have to watch an explained video, it doesn't necessarily mean that the film is of a lower quality, I think. I, sorry, I lost the original question. What? No, no, I'm rambling. No, we, we, we got lost in People one of my screaming. housemates singing, and oh, we've God also got sake. cars outside just stopping and starting. Oh. So I'm hoping is that, that why you giggled? Minimalist and, and, and rural. That's not but um, so did you... Did you feel like you had to watch an explained video then after watching this film? No, but I think there are a lot of the uh, like I think the whole kind of joke of the film is of it being called coherence and a lot of stuff not being <laughs> coherent. I think yeah. it's definitely doing that on purpose, but uh, yeah. it's a it's very much the same vein of like getting like when films are very detail orientated or like the whole inception dream within a dream within mm. a dream and it like it kind mm. of the film's law gets ahead of itself and therefore yeah. confuses the viewer. I think it, it can, like, that is a fault of the film, but at the same time, it makes the film work. So mm. I'm 50 50 with. Just a side know, tangent. The film's Inception, Inception isn't as cu- confusing as most people say. No, but I, I'm talking about as in. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Very. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought, but. Um, Films that are just very detail orientated. I I know what you mean. Yeah, sort of like for it. Yeah, yeah. Those sort um, of Nolan type films where everything right. is sort of there's a lot of layers to it. I think like narratively. Yeah. I think overall the film is confusing, but it works, and yes. the confusion like is a massive part of that film. Um, I think. Do you guys any like anything in particular before we wrap up this film? Um, because. I was uh, one last thing I was just gonna say was it's just a great film for like aspiring student filmmakers yeah. or mm-hmm. just Absolutely. generally working with a lower budget. Um, yeah, that's my main thing with coherence. It's, yeah, it's it's really good low budget filmmaking. I agree. Um, it's one of the best examples that I've seen. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, what, do you do you have anything left or? 
Matt, or... Uh, do you want me to summarise? Yeah, just, just a quick <laughs> summary before we... And then we'll, we'll say where it's available. Yeah, well. no, I, I completely agree. I think it is an excellent example of low-budget filmmaking. It shows how to have your priorities in the right place when making a high-concept film like this, you know, because it does have... It's got a very good original concept, and it could have potentially been caught up in that concept too much to the point where the rest of the characters are lost but it didn't do that it always kept the characters at the center of it it's very focused it builds tension very well and although it is confusing i think because the characters are confused as well it works so yeah (laughs) for those of you listening at home uh (laughs) inside joke (laughs) I I'd, I'd I'd love to have Max on the show. She'd oh, be great. Yes. She would be amazing. Yeah. Max, if you're listening somehow, please uh, get on the show. We'd love to have you on to talk about many scripts. If if we do have you on, it, can we just have you talking, Max? Because <laughs> you will have the most to say. For reference, she's one of our lecturers, and she taught us script writing. Yes. And one of the big big notes that she kept giving everyone was scope. Yeah, yeah. Train it in. Yeah, <laughs> and this film like, does no, it very well. You can't have a dragon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This this film has a comet and yet somehow manages to be within the budget, and it's it's done yeah. very well. It's yeah. yeah. I highly recommend it. It's available on Same. Amazon Prime, and I'm sure there's DVDs about for it. Probably a fiver. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you know, rent it. You know. Yeah. You're um, just saying this about every film, probably a Not every film. <laughs> Most films, three to four pound, I'd say. Yeah, probably yeah. not that much. Depends now, speaking of uh, hard-to-access films... <laughs> well, uh, Jesus I Christ. Can, I can only apologise. It's okay. the perfect segue. It's the fact that <laughs> on other episodes, one... me and Matty P have gone out of our way to be like, guys, we're going to find stuff that's yeah. on Netflix and Amazon. And this one <laughs> was, like, was can't not be bothered. Five, This one was £12. Oof. Just saying. So yeah, you, this one was like the Pandora's <laughs> box of obscure films. It was just and, impossible. And my main note on this film, it says on the top of this, my notes here, it just says, let Heidi take the reins. And that's what I'm going to do right now. <laughs> so tell us about King Henry. No, no, just Henry. Henry the Henry Eighth and his six wives yes. was a 1972 film. It's about two hours long. Um, it, I think it was the BBC. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was the BBC. But it's based on a TV, TV series from 1970, which was six episodes long, which was called The Six Wives of Henry VIII. Um, basically, what the BBC had done was they'd taken this TV series that they'd made that was about nine hours long and condensed it into <laughs> a two-hour film. Um it didn't do very well. Um, Clearly, because it was it's it not was... about in a lot of places. <laughs> no, it's on you dodgy can't websites. Find it in many places, um, it is on a website called Bob. Yes, yeah, Bob, I, Box of Broadcasting. If you watch it on Bob, yes. make sure you have amazing Wi-Fi because yeah, I got like half an hour in. Or... I got half an hour into this film and had to stop because yeah. it just kept buffering, so I couldn't finish it unfortunately. If so, if you are a student, you can probably access it on Bob. Yes. Yeah. Um, or, or DVD. Um, I bought the DVD. Um, now, why did you buy the DVD? Well, I'm I like history. Okay. And I'd kept hearing this film would crop up. People would be like, "Oh my god, this film is very very historically accurate. It's one of the most historically accurate films to be made of the Tudors." And I was like, 
oh, this I have to see. So <laughs> for that reason, and pretty much that reason alone, I bought the DVD. Um, it is, yeah, it lived up to the hype, I think. It is one of the most historically accurate films I think I've ever seen, down to the dialogue. Right. Like, the, there's a big speech at the start that Henry VIII gives, and it is word for word a speech, his very last speech that he gave before he died, which you could argue, you know, like, historical accuracy versus making an interesting film. <laughs> But I think for what they did, they made the right decision to do that. But is it an interesting film as well, as being historically accurate? For me, yes. <laughs> um, I, I, sorry, I'd, I'd, I'd say yeah. definitely watch it with a history buff, because it makes it ten times more fun. Yeah. Because um, I, I would just ask you a lot of questions, being like, "What's yeah. so, are we on Anne Boleyn right now? Who, who's this? What does thou mean? <laughs> shut, shut up. I don't know if this film is for everyone, but um, if... it wasn't for my internet, that's for sure. No, <laughs> if if you do like history and that is your sort of thing, um, and if you are one of those people who gets really annoyed at costume in films because they never get it right, and like <laughs> you know, why is this woman from the eighteen hundreds wearing something that was clearly made yesterday? Like you know, if you're one of those people, you will love this film. <laughs> Um, but if if what you're looking for is a little bit more like action packed, this probably isn't the film for you. Watch coherence, yeah. Watch coherence. <laughs> Joe, what what did you think, Joe? What were your I, final honestly, thoughts? Honestly, my main takeaway was just how fun it was watching it with Heidi because I'd just be like, wait, <laughs> what's happening now? Who's this? And then yeah. I I'd I, pause I, it and give yeah. you a back <laughs> but whole at, background. At the same time, I was surprised at how much I remembered about King Henry the Eighth. Mainly through horrible histories and divorce, beheaded and died. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what what's the runtime on this? It's about two hours. Two hours. Okay. Two hours to get through like the story of him and his, his six wives and his whole life. And like the the fact it didn't feel long. Like you know, it, <laughs> I don't think it felt long. Oof. I think, I think I would have enjoyed it if it was maybe three hours long. Right. But it's because. It kind of skips the the latter half very yeah. quickly. I didn't feel like they had enough time to go into detail on each of the wives, right. each of the wives, but that was the same for like all of the wives. It felt like you know there was so much more that they could have said that they didn't due to time. Right. And I don't know it made it feel like a shorter film than it was. I think, mm. but um, I don't know. I feel like if you are a history teacher. And you want to quick fire teach your pupils. Yeah, it's, this yeah, is it's a very good, good for one of them. Matty yeah. P, why are you playing with blue tack? Uh, for the listeners at home who can't see me, just I'm currently playing with blue tack. We're just Matt, Matt's in his own world. He's like, I'm not in my own world, I'm listening to you. <laughs> I can see you just looking at this blue tack. I'm listening to you. Um, so, anyway. Um, heard everything. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> Um, one of my main takeaways with this and the king, which we talked about on episode two, yes, is the whole debate of historical accuracy versus just general entertainment. Yeah. What did you? How, how was it for you with this film? Um, I definitely think they kind of sacrificed some entertainment value in favour of being historically accurate, which I think for this film is yes, that was the right thing to do because that is what 
they were making this film for essentially right. it wasn't you know it wasn't meant to be the most entertaining piece in the whole world it was meant to be historically accurate and i don't know if that is the right move for every film though i think it depends on your audience i guess doesn't yeah. it there's there's no one right answer to how to make a film of that nature right i would i would say in most cases if you're making a historical film um then historical accuracy should not be your focal point mm. because if you want to make money cases, then... yeah if you want to <laughs> yeah. make money in most cases if you're trying to make this film for a general audience then do not worry too much about the historical accuracy there are maybe 10 people who will go to their blogs and <laughs> moan about it otherwise but, people will be happy but even if a film's not historically accurate you can still feel like you've learned something from it yeah, don't exactly. you you can take a historical event uh like henry the eighth or something and you can maybe not be as historically accurate but if you get an essence of the sort yeah. of turmoil that he was going through and trying to find an heir then i yeah. think entertainment wise that's good enough it's like you get biopics like this a lot you get films like the social network which isn't mm. exactly accurate but mm-hmm. it's very entertaining and yes. it does capture yeah. that sort of essence of the conflict that was going on right when that yeah. was happening so I yeah I, how yeah. was the the half an hour you watched yeah. <laughs> Uh, it buffered every five minutes, but um, yeah, I I wasn't incredibly gripped by it, but I I can appreciate it for its historical accuracy, definitely. Yeah. Um, did you Did you notice that there was straw on the floors? Oh, wait, I don't think you. I did. That. I didn't notice oh my, that. Oh my! That was made me so happy. So, a little bit of a history lesson. Back then, they would have had slate floors, right? And their mm-hmm. shoes were shockingly bad slip and slide everywhere so what they would do when the floors got wet was they put straw in it so they didn't fall over and crack their heads open and you know most especially films, when giving birth most films won't do that yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a nice so little attention was, to detail i like that yeah, i i didn't I, notice that if I, I think, got up to that bit yeah i think little little things like that i would like to see more of that in a film yeah whereas like maybe dialogue right it's fine if you if you make yeah. it modern i think a funny example of historical accuracy being a detriment to the film's entertainment or I guess seriousness is uh, I've got here Henry VIII wears a cock piece throughout the entirety of this film he does and bigger and bigger does it? as the film goes (laughs) and very serious dramatic moments and it's just there in your face so prominent I do remember the cod piece for the first half an hour it is historically accurate I thought it was cock piece I didn't know it was cod I think same. it's called a cod piece. Oh, okay. A cock piece, <laughs> cod piece. Potato, p- cod, cod. It was a big thing in front of his private areas, right. making it look bigger. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I and guess I, it fits the character that he's, and, like, overcompensating, but, like... Like I said before, you know, if you capture an essence of a person, right. then, yeah. you know, and that's Which what the did, cod piece like, did. The co- the co- like, the costume outside of the, the cod no, piece is very were, big. They were so so historically accurate that like the guys guys clothes in Tudor periods were god awful they were so ugly people might disagree with me but my goodness me there were curves in all the wrong places and they just looked ridiculous and they put those in the film they didn't you know they didn't take away the little pantaloons and make them trousers like they would normally they kept all the silly little curves and it looked ridiculous but 
it was kind of nice to see it. Right. In, in the same way as the, the cod piece. <laughs> it was kind of, it's nice to see, it was very distracting. Right. But <laughs> it was kind of nice to see that they'd actually bothered to put that much attention right. into the costumes. And like male costumes aside, the, the women looked gorgeous. <laughs> like Tudor female costumes are beautiful. Um, I think, and we, um, so we were talking good. about corsets when we were yeah. when we were watching it. So what? So why is it? I, I can't remember what was the what we were talking about, but it was more like in most period films, uh, when characters wear corsets, it's very like it's pushing a lot of stuff up and it's over accentuating yeah. it to the point where characters look like, look like they can't breathe because their boobs are gonna fall out. Why? So you I remember you were saying if I'm correct, that that's not how it was like back no. then? Um, if you want a proper, like, corset lesson, there is this wonderful YouTuber called Bernadette Banner, and she does a lot of corsetry stuff. And if you go onto her channel, you'll soon come across a whole host of <laughs> historical costumers who can tell you so much about corsets. But as, like, a very brief breakdown, essentially the corset was a bra, and it was just it was just designed to keep you all in place. It wasn't really meant. To, it wasn't meant to push you up right. to like extremes. It wasn't even really meant to tighten your waist to extremes. Like most of the silhouette of like the small waist was done via padding. Right. So they would pad out. This is later on, but they would pad out the like breast area. They'd pad out the hips area, and that would automatically. There was a biker. He was hearing about the corsets and he yeah. was going to just bust through. <laughs> I heard um, that one. But yeah, they'd, they'd put padding in these areas and that would automatically make the waist look smaller. Tudor corsets were kind of more designed to keep you straight. Right. So they would have padding in the hips to make your hips wider, but bust-wise it was just meant to like support. Right. It was meant to keep it all in one place. So, so why is it know? with something like Game of Thrones or the Tudors? Characters look like they can't breathe. Sex appeal. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was... Because that's a lot of period films. Where it's, it's like, it's I've seen films. like sketches about yeah. it and stuff. They, you know, they really did not dress like that at right. all. Like, I mean, Game of Thrones is obviously fantasy anyway. But right. it does pull from historical, like, events. Mm. And to be honest, like, corsets... Back, I think where... Game of Thrones is like kind of War of the Roses, but kind of before that as well. And like, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. If if you are listening and know this <laughs> stuff, correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't think they would have really worn corsets right. then anyway. Right. But like, yeah, a large amount of like corsetry in film is really done for sex appeal. Right. Um. They were they were still wearing corsets in 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 King Henry though, right? Yeah, they they were yeah. wearing corsets. They weren't tight. They weren't meant to be tight, really. Okay. Like they were just meant to hold you right. together and like stop you know flab, right? <laughs> and bits <laughs> falling out. They were more similar to, I think it's Spanx today, right? Like you know, um, I think this myth about corsets being so horribly tight comes from, <laughs> um, later on when photography became a thing. Okay. And some people at that point, some people, not all people, some people would tighten their corsets to a point where they couldn't breathe. 
because <laughs> you know photography. Right. Um. Even then, they'd Photoshop those images. Like, it's right. <laughs> they Photoshop. What is what's the what's the the old timey way of photoshopping? A pen. Okay, they would just <laughs> they would get, just color it in, color it in, and like make your waist look smaller. Like right. you know. Okay. No one died. Right. <laughs> As a result no of one wearing died. a corset. <laughs> No one died, and I think Ever. that's a big takeaway. <laughs> yeah. But, um, okay. yeah, like, I think some people would wear them tight and restrict their breathing, but the majority of people, like, people had to work. Right. People didn't <laughs> sit around all day doing nothing. They had to work. It seems like King so, Henry sat around a lot doing nothing. Yeah, but he was the king, so. <laughs> that's true. Even he would have worn a corset. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know guys, that. The guys in that film probably were, would have been wearing a corset. Oh, I just remember. Sorry, I just forgot that Brian Blessed's in this film. He is. Brian there were a few Blessed surprise actors that I noticed in the first half hour. Like the guy who plays Alfred in the Michael Keaton Batman is in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Michael Goff, I think he's called. Oh, okay. He's in oh, it. Oh, yes. A yes. surprise. Yeah. Yes. Holy shit. I didn't. Yeah. I, he's younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is young. <laughs> he's quite Pleasance's a bit younger. Donald from Halloween. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Donald Pleasance is in it as well, obviously. Blowfield. Charlotte Rampling, very young in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, yeah. Keith Mitchell. Keith Mitchell. Is, Mitchell. He, plays Henry. And he played in the TV good. series, right? Yeah, he played them in both. And, like, mm. I think there's a testament to the makeup as well because he is the same person throughout the whole film, but my God, does he look different? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> like, he balloons quite literally <laughs> and you know his face changes shape and all yeah. sorts it's and i don't think they had a huge budget for that either no well, i mean i don't know how much it is i don't right. think it says it anywhere but so was it the tv series edited into one film or was it a separate to the tv series separate okay they they had some different actors, okay. but I think a few of them did come back. Because it came out like two film. years after the TV show, didn't it? Yeah. I think, right. yeah. I think the TV series had some success, and they thought, oh, we can make fun <laughs> yeah. of this. And then the film because just flopped. TV shows into films always work out, don't they? <laughs> always. Well, it's, it's, it's very weird. So I, I posted a picture of the poster for our Instagram, which is a TAW uh, podcast, Um and the poster was like, uh, now a major motion picture, King yeah. Henry. And it was like, <laughs> it, does, it doesn't seem like that type of flashy American, like, it go really to the cinema either. type film. It was kind like, of like, it, swept so under down. the rug a bit, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And that's so why you can't find it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this, this was directed by, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, I'm sorry. Waris Hussain, who has directed uh, films such as Coco Cabana, the Barry Manilow film. And a lot of the old Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. And I, Which was kind of nice. Yeah. You can sort of, like, tell... It kind of looks like well. a Doctor Who episode, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, sort of like, but uh, what, what do you... Like... Just, like, in terms of budget. And oh, okay. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. Right. You could picture someone coming in wearing tinfoil. Right. And then yeah. <laughs> hopping around the corner. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's a bit harsh. Obviously, there was... <laughs> A high budget for the accuracy of the costumes and the production design, etc. Yeah, that was obviously where a lot of money went. I've yeah. got two different questions go for on. Heidi, and then we'll go into an, another thing. Um, so, the sound in this film seems like it's very ADR heavy. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? And then also, what what do you think of Donald Pleasant's accent throughout the film? Remind me who Donald Pleasant played. The bald like guy the, with the blue eyes. Cromwell. He played Thomas oh, yeah. Cromwell. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, He's not bald in the film. I'll answer that one first. 
it was I wouldn't say it was completely distracting okay. but I would not you know I wouldn't cast him again <laughs> <laughs> he really does a good I, job but he does a good job Pleasance is a lovely actor I would I would yeah. either give him lessons <laughs> in accents oh dear no um, in a really nice way okay. in the nicest possible way I'd give him a couple of like little lessons sticks are playing Blofeld <laughs> Or, you know, I probably wouldn't cast him again. Oof. But um, he wasn't too distracting, but, okay. like, you know, it was noticeable. And the ADR in the film? That was, um, I think that's probably just because of it was made in the 70s. Maybe. Right. That's what I'm going with. Because yeah. I don't know, some of the places you could probably, you could understand why they might not have used a microphone. Right. Very big, echoey. I was about to say, where you, they didn't, they didn't have um, lav mics then, so there's like a lot of wides, and I feel yeah. very sorry for any boom <laughs> operator in that. It's like I, I think they probably made the right decision to ADR it, but they could have done a way better job. I, I think. Yeah, there was one scene in the half hour I watched where it did look a <laughs> yeah. bit distracting. So I, I'm really. Yeah. Milking no, no, it here. It's, it's like I saw a quarter of this film and I'm just yeah. rinsing it out, basically. Sometimes the ADR doesn't sync up with the way their mouths move. Right. And sometimes yeah. their mouths don't move. And not even that, it just it doesn't DVD, sound... so it's not like yeah. a Wi-Fi thing. And it doesn't and... sound like the same environment as well, like when they're outside yeah, talking. Yeah. It there sounds is like no background indoors. noise, like, no. hit, like layered yeah. in it. It's um, just, yeah. It yeah. could have been done so much better, I think... I, I don't know. I think that's may, maybe one of the only filmmakery comments I'd right. have on that. I think it, mm. there was one point where I was like, is it Charlotte Rampling doing her ADR or has someone just dubbed her a different person? <laughs> it was very confusing. I think... I it was Charlotte Rampling, do, yeah. but it was just done very weirdly. And again, it might just be a sign of the times back then. I got an interesting question that works for Matt as well. Yes. Oh. Which is, if you were to put any characters from Coherence or Clueless within this film, <laughs> who would it be and why? Oh my, you go first. <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure. I can't remember any of the names of the characters in Coherence. That's no, the thing. Same, to be fair. I think, yeah. so, I mean, the obvious one is Cher, just to see Cher interact with... King Henry from yeah. Clueless. Like yeah, just a fashion breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, I guess with coherence, it not in the sense of characters, but like imagine the films played the the film the events in coherence have played out, and then they've somehow been time travelled, sucked back into, and they've just like the next scene is them going into King Henry. Again, I think they'd also probably have a heart attack. <laughs> I think if Ty they from went through Clueless. So much. If Ty from Clueless was in there, because in Clueless she upstaged the popular girl and became right. the popular girl, so in Henry VIII she would become the king and upstage the king. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't know, that's the funniest thing the I have to say about that. We want to yeah. pitch. Um, yeah, I, I, that's pretty much all I've got to say with King I Henry. Mean, Is there anything? If you want me to talk for another half an hour. <laughs> the first um, half hour is great. so many notes on the individual costumes right. for every character. Also, you change your grad project now. <laughs> no! <laughs> Three weeks they, before like, the deadline. How they portrayed each of the wives as well, right. I think. Um, it was very interesting what they did because for uh, 
Anne Boleyn mm -hmm. and Anne of Cleves, they kind of portrayed them how they were sort of seen at the time. So ba I assume based on like letters and things like that. And I think Anne of Cleves is quite caricaturish. It's which, quite num funny. which number is she? She's I hate the to... fourth one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Do you remember the German one? Yes. So and wait, his, so divorce. His reaction to her she's was, divorced. Oh she's one with the divorce. I can't okay. marry that. Um, yeah. Right. I thought that was really funny, to be fair. But um, <laughs> and then. Oh yes, I remember now. That was yeah. hilarious. Yes. Kath Catherine Howard, who came after mm -hmm. Anna Cleves. Yes. Um, they didn't play her as the kind of harlot that she was seen at the time they Love they the portrayed her as, as such a good word. slut in the modern very innocent as a side piece um yes you know you know the tiktok where it's like somebody come get her she dancing <laughs> like a stripper i saw a tiktok where someone did a period accurate one where it's like somebody doth get her she's dancing <laughs> like a harlot <laughs> heidi you were saying <laughs> fuck off I don't use yeah. TikTok. I'm sorry, my man. Uh, so they made follow Kath Ruben. <laughs> yeah. They made Catherine Howard this very innocent. I mean, she was like what, nineteen years old when right. she died. Yeah. So like, she wasn't in control at all. She was a teenager. Mm. She was obviously being manipulated by a bunch of people around her, and they showed that in the like really short time that they had with her, they showed that very well, which I was very pleased to see. Um. I think Jane Seymour, they did her very well because she was, she was very quiet, shy, innocent. Her, her costume reflected that as well. It was, it was all very beige and like pale colours. Um, and then obviously she died and whatnot. Um, yeah, they, they, oh, they had um, Baby Mary at one point. There was a scene and it's probably one of my favourite scenes in the whole film. They had this poor little toddler, this little <laughs> child, could barely walk anyway, and they stuck her in full historical costumes, <laughs> and it was so funny. This poor little girl was trying to run around, and just she was tripping over, and it. Oh, if you're gonna watch the film just for that, right. I would a hundred percent. It's worth the price of admission. You, yes, you can't find a clip of it online anywhere, but it was by far. Were you looking for a clip? <laughs> I was because baby really, in historical accuracy <laughs> eats I, the ground. I really wanted to show over. Jack. It was, it was really cute and funny, uh, and yeah. I don't know. They played. They had some sort of dialogue going on over the top. I don't remember what they said because I wasn't paying any attention. Because <laughs> there was just this poor child, right. barely moving this big dress. I don't know. I thought that was. It was ADR yeah. with Brian Blessed. Yeah. <laughs> I am a baby. <laughs> But um, one final thing before we, we wrap up. Um, mm -hmm. This seems stereotypical film students say, but it's the only f frame of reference I really have with this type of dialogue, is mm -hmm. Robert Eggers' period accurate dialogue in The Witch and the Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. Compared to something like this, how do you... I guess the half an hour you saw that. Um, <laughs> how, how do you think the period Ugh. accurate dialogue for this film was like in comparison to those and... How do you feel about period accurate dialogue in terms of, you know, being a modern listener? Can I just interject very quickly? Sure, go ahead. They, when, whenever they're angry at the woman... Oh, yes, gone, I remember. They yes. use the word madam, <laughs> and it is 
brilliant, and I think we should just bring it back in general. Madam. Like, <laughs> madam. He goes, I did not think so, madam. It's, it's only oh, really used by, so like, passive-aggressive receptionists, isn't it? Madam. Yes. If you can madam. wait, madam. Oh. I think... Your checkup is in five minutes, madam. They use it in... Um, there's a film called Ever After, yeah. which is based oh, yeah. on Cinderella, and they use it a couple of times in that film as well. And it's always stuck with me. And I've always been like, you know, if I ever get into an argument with Jack <laughs> or someone, please Imagine. do that. It would be brilliant. It would just be, oh, I, just, I love the word. It's probably got all these horrible connotations <laughs> to it. Like, I think it's a madam well, is someone who, like, yeah. owns or runs a prostitute. Right. Brothel. There, there was a slight, oh, there was a tiny controversy with Avengers, the first Avengers film, because Loki calls Black Widow a Quinn. Oh, um, they do do blackface in this film. Oh yeah, so to, when does film, that happen? You didn't, there's, you didn't get to that bit. So there's yeah. a Morris yeah. dancing scene. Yeah, so which oh. they do blackface with for. with films aging badly. I guess this film does that. It was the seventies, of... yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what That's were you going to say, line. Matt? You know, the fifteen seventies. Sorry. <laughs> What were you going to say before I... Really uh, so your question was about period accurate dialogue and whether Especially it's good in films. this compared to Robert Eggers, I guess. Um, so, again, only seeing half an hour of this film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, generally speaking, yes, I think period accurate dialogue is, is great. It educates you on the film and it immerses you in the world further. It's, it's only a good thing, I think, really. Right. Uh, it can yeah. be... It, there is the risk of sort of accessibility for other people yeah, who don't definitely. necessarily vibe with that kind of dialogue but yeah. I think <laughs> I, I think it's good I think I I would encourage it to appear more in films I think really? I, yeah oh I would say <laughs> why is that a surprise <laughs> I don't know I just it's it's I don't know it's like I wouldn't have thought that it would be a good idea to put it in more historical films I think it works in that one because of like everything else that they were doing. And it works in uh, the Robert Eggers films as well. I don't. Yeah. Heidi, have you seen The Lighthouse or The Witch? I've seen The Lighthouse. Haven't and what did you it. think? Oh, it was really good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So good film. With, so like The Lighthouse's dialogue is way more easier to understand, whether yeah. The Witch you can barely understand it, and that's I guess my main, it like thing about it is whether or not audiences can understand what's going on. But the flip side of that is films like The King, where they throw in, like, King Henry V being like, fuck you, uh, suck a dick. And it's like, <laughs> which is legit in those I films, and it doesn't that. work. No. Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn's, like, curses him out in the beginning, and it's, it's very... And he says, suck my dick. It, so, it, someone gets called one of those, yeah. and then no. in general, the, uh, oh. the uh, F-bombs are dropped throughout that film, and it doesn't yeah. work. So, like... Fair enough. Both sides are a bit weird. If you ha- if you modernise historical films as dialogue, it it plays as iffy. But then if you're too mm. accurate, you can't. You have the risk of there's, accessibility. There's definitely like there's a happy medium that I think most films should aim for. Right. Um, like don't put in very obvious modern references, but maybe leave out like some of the really historical stuff that right. needs translating. Right. Mm. 
I, so. I remember you saying with the lighthouse, it, it you can get away with it because it's more fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. As well. But like with other films, when they try and do it, like when we watched The King, Matt, we had to Google the etymology of the word fuck and how long it lasted for. Oh yeah, because we did, we're like, we? wait a minute, this is taking me out. I haven't yeah. seen this film since like November. <laughs> I know, but like in general, just like it's a weird. Catch it is, it situation. is weird, yes. Um, I think this film, yeah. at the beginning, and there was a lot of times where I, I had mm. no clue and was uh, basically asking you to translate. Like, what are they saying right now? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, I, I just go with it, it. <laughs> and hope I understand it. later on. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... you know, if a film's good enough, you, you'll understand what... Because dialogue isn't the only thing in a film. You also have performances yeah. and cinematography and yeah. blocking and all that. So I think... You know, if a film's done well enough, you can afford to have a few period idiosyncrasies yeah. in there, you know? Right. It's, it works. I mean, so much, like, communication isn't even through words, it's through facial expressions. Exactly, yeah. So, if if you kind of get those right, you should have a vague idea of what's going on anyway. Yeah. So, I think... most. I mean, most of the time when I watch historical films, if I don't know what they're talking about, I kind of piece it together based on well do they right. look sad yeah how they, are they are they running <laughs> yeah do they look scared for their life right. oh I, I think there might be a fox chasing them not a fox yeah. a wolf or something surely you'd see you know. the wolf <laughs> <laughs> you, you can you can kind of like piece together right what they're, what they're talking about based on what else is happening in the room if they're standing yeah. there looking stone-faced right and they're not moving and they're blabbering on about something then yeah you're not gonna get right. it <laughs> how how was it with this film in particular um they did very well at like facial expressions and conveying emotion okay so, I think so the dial it made it easier yeah. okay that's fair um yeah i i don't have any other main takeaways really apart from you know if you're into king henry i keep wanting to say henry v which it, he that different is king. The king. Yeah, but, uh, but that oh. what was what's their relationship? They aren't. But yeah, they they have they, a weird. So um, Henry VIII's dad, Henry the Seventh, um, took over from King Richard. Right. Um. So, the Tudor family has, I think, I think little to no relation okay. to the previous lot of kings. Right. So. Mm-hmm. All these Henrys barely even related anyway, so. <laughs> Henry was the old old school child. They just like him. <laughs> They're just like, oh, what should we call our baby? Oh, Henry's good. Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, yeah, I think... you know, when you when you have eight Henrys in like three hundred years, chances are there's gonna be some gaps. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, if you're into King Henry the Eighth, you're into your horrible histories and the history buff stuff in general. If this is a film to watch. If you're the kind of person who watches a historical film and very quickly runs to your blog page <laughs> to comment on the costumes, then please watch this film. Yeah. And <laughs> you if you're the type, it. and if you're the type of person who is a student, has Bob and good Wi-Fi, then yeah, I would say. And check if you it don't out. mind ordering DVDs on Amazon, mm-hmm. do it. And it'll, it'll... if if you don't want to watch this film but you want something similar, there is a film called Anne of the Thousand Days, which is I've a heard bit of more that. famous. It's yeah. Richard Burton's in that one, I think. Yeah. Wasn't I it critically panned, similar... that one, though? Well, similar, like, historical accuracy thing, yeah. I think. I think it's, it's supposed to be very historically accurate as well. Yeah. And I love it. It's a brilliant film. 
but um, I, might I think watch it. that one might be easier to find just because it's a bit more well known. I've heard. Or well, maybe it watch the TV show of this and see if how you, you can feel. Find the yeah, TV that'd show. Be good. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. I haven't looked for it yet. I'm hmm. pretty sure it's on. Um, Wouldn't it be replayed on iPlayer or? Possibly. Who, yeah. Um, there's also um, this wonderful historian called Susanna Lipscomb. I think I pronounced it right. Um, she did a documentary series. Yes. Um, which is the same name. It's Henry VIII and his six wives. I think it's for Channel Five. It's probably why it's so hard to it's access. Someone called Dan. <laughs> yeah. Someone called Dan something rather like co-hosted with her. I don't care about him. She's brilliant. I love right. her. She's got this massive curly hair and it's brilliant. But um, she really knows her stuff about the Tudors. So if you really only really care about the history stuff and you just want to learn about it, I would recommend trying to find her documentary series okay. about it as well. Okay. So I I'd say as a test try try double billet with the king and see how mm. how, how how awake you can stay because the king is I think a case of historical accuracy leading to boredom but we won't yeah, get into that because it's you know it's go to our previous podcasts we Matt talk Matt about with them. the half an hour you watched this what would you what would you say for audience members watch the other ninety minutes I would say <laughs> uh, no I I'd say. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's yeah. well, I I don't know what you want me to say. Like it's yeah. clearly historically accurate. Um, yeah, <laughs> if you like that everyone. sort of thing. Yeah. Sorry. It's not. I don't think it's for everyone. No. So, you you it's it's for a niche audience. Yeah. Really. O- overall, if you if you're not enjoying this film, always check out the other two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, check yeah. out the other seven Henrys, and then. Yeah. <laughs> All definitely, the definitely watch Coherence. Yeah, definitely watch one... Coherence. Watch Clueless, maybe. Yeah. Which are and... both available on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Amazon and Prime. This film is available on Bob, and then just general DVD places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's. Pr- I think that's pretty much that's, all we had to say. I think today. That's a wrap. I don't know if we're gone for. I I if I check my phone, I'm worried I'll stop it. But yeah, that's it's about an hour and a half. To... We've been. Thank really? you for being on the show, Heidi. Yes, thank really you for being our guest. I definitely enjoyed it. Good. Awesome. I good. always like chatting about history. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favourite things to do. Nice. Just nice. get me talking about Windows next time. Oh, t- <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll watch, what's it, the new Woman in the Window film that's coming out with Amy Adams. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's been, that's a wrap. That's good night from us. Good night, good evening, good morning, good day. That's a wrap. Yep.